Welcome to All Write in Sin City, a podcast about writers and writing in the Windsor, Detroit region. Your podcasters today are Irene Moore Davis, author, educator, and local historian, Sarah Jarvis, former bookseller, publishing rep, and literary festival chair, and me, Kim Conklin, Windsor based writer and filmmaker. our guest. Margaret Christakos is a widely published award-winning poet, fiction author, critic, and creative writing instructor. Her work has won the Relit Award for Poetry and the Bliss Carmen Award, has been nominated for the Pat Lowther Award twice, and was shortlisted for the Trillium Book Award. She was appointed Canada Council Writer-in-Residence at the University of Windsor in 2004-2005 at Western University in 2016 and 2017, and at the University of Alberta in 2017-2018, and as Barker Fairley Distinguished Visitor at University of Toronto 2018 to 2019. She is now at Ryerson University as a sessional instructor. Her recent publications include Charger, a poetry collection published by Talon Books in 2020, and an intergenre memoir, her paraphernalia, on Mother Lines, Sex, Blood, Loss, and Selfies, published by Book Hug in 2016. In 2017, Wilfrid Laurier University Press published Space Between Her Lips, the poetry of Margaret Christakos. Her most recent collection is Dear Bert, published by Palimpsest Press in 2021. Margaret Christakos will be appearing virtually at Bookfest Windsor in October 2021. Welcome, Margaret. Hello. Lovely to be here, Irene. Thank you for being here. First, how have you been doing through the pandemic and has the COVID era had any impact on your writing? Well, I've been surviving. I think I've been very lucky to have a, a kind of lovely space to live in. Um, friends, writer friends, you know, we've congregated online. Um, and I think that the teaching I've done over the last year and a half has also really helped me stay grounded and connected, especially with younger people who are, you know, really suffering the brunt, I think, of this, of this situation. Um, I work with university students who, you know, have been shouldering just incredible uncertainty. Um, otherwise, you know, writing requires um, quiet space, <laughs> time, and a kind of, you um, spaciousness from from the normal uh, conduct of life. So in a way, it's actually been, you know, quite a productive time. So what has it been like for you to release two books during a pandemic? Mm, odd, very strange, very virtual. Um, you know, the the book object is is a is a real live organic baby that that, you know, we carry around and introduce to various um, material spaces. That's been odd. It's been odd to have books come into the world and not quite sense that they're in the world or to, you know, question what the world is uh, now that so much of it has become virtual. At the same time, it's really helped me to know that I've had this kind of creative output over a period that for many writers has, I think, been really um, frightening in the sense of, are we disappearing? Where are our books going? Uh, where is writing going to land after, after this? 
So going back to your genesis, when and how did you first discover your passion for writing? Gosh, Sarah, that takes me way back <laughs> over far too many decades. I can't quite remember when I didn't write. Um, but writing, you know, writing becomes a practice for those of us who find something exuberant in occupying that internal space that also moves into, into external spaces and publics. I think there's something about moving the private into the public that attracted me to writing. I sort of started as a visual artist. I'm still a visual artist. That story of, you know, one, one replacing another isn't, isn't the case with me. Um, but there's something about poetry that I, I find experimental, you know, sort of continually. It's a space that I can reinvent writing in all the time. So I, I kind of like, uh, I like that about poetry. I've written fiction as well and long fiction as well, but there's something about poetry that allows me to reposition myself at a beginning, always. And uh, that has saved my, saved my neck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you've written memoir as well. So that, it, that fits in, slots in with your, your poetry, you think, and your fiction? Yeah, genre is always uh, up for grabs with me. I think there's a sense of the this sort of fine line or this membrane between, you know, what's memoir and what's invented. I, I think these two practices are really enmeshed uh, for most writers. Um, we just sort of maybe... Uh, subvert it in different ways. Um, but memoir for me meant a book project where I actually did some, you know, some travel, some revisitation to ancestral or family geographies that, that changed my sense of identity to some degree. So um, that was her paraphernalia in, when did that come out? 2016, crazy, five years ago. Um, and Dear Birch, the, the newest book is in some ways a meditation on the memoir as a form, but it's also a kind of, you know, rebuffing of that form to some, to some degree. I think I do that with all genre, you know, I, I kind of like push against it, um, or make it, make, make it multiply in some way. Yeah. You mentioned that you're also a visual artist and that photography has become an important part of your practice. Um, how do you carve out time to practice both photography and writing? How do you balance that? Um, you know, I think like any artist, we just figure out how to do it. Like if you want to make stuff, if you want to be in your practice, you just, you kind of steal it from everything you're supposed to do. That's kind of my my metaphor <laughs> always um, there's uh, there's a lot of guilt in 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 being an artist it's um it's a kind of taking back or a resting for myself what i actually care about and um photography really became you know a kind of big form for me with 
you know, the gift of a cell phone from my brother. Uh, I, w- I didn't have a cell phone until, I don't know, 2013 or something like that, which seems like a, an eon ago, but it was well after most people had cell phones. And um, I started to recognize the, you know, the wonderful potential of being situated in the moment that photography represents. And that is also true of my poetics. Um, so the photography became a way to grapple with time and situation, but also with um, identity around self-portraiture as a woman in sort of midlife. That, that was a big part of the project. Her paraphernalia was trying to grapple with all the sort of obligatory invisibilities that, that are, are laid on to uh, women in midlife. Um, and... So I did actually a lot of self-portraiture with photography. Um, I tried to let myself inhabit spaces where I was feeling whatever I was feeling. I wasn't performing for the camera and I could control that because I was controlling, you know, the the device. Um, There's also a lot in my photography practice that's about social media, appearing within the space of social media and thinking about uh, direct and indirect address, which are really big kind of tropes of, of all of my writing. And there's something about being able to do something in a private or internal or interior space and then deliver it into a public virtual space that seemed to work both with poetry and with imagery, image making. I also took a lot of pictures of uh, plates after meals. So plates that had, you know, the sort of entropy of, 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 you know, the, the domestic performance on them. And, um, and also I did a lot of photography around the idea of the window as a portal, both the screen and, and a physical sort of sign of habitat being in inside or outside. Um, I don't know, photography to me is really about you know, kind of like becoming material with the moment and, and it seems infinite. Um, So that's, that's a piece of it. And it's continued. Uh, I now do a lot of sort of collaging with digital photography and um, I'm kind of working with multiple images, I don't know, over layered or collaged, I guess collage is, is one of the, the metaphors as well. Your latest collection of poetry, Dear Bert, is both beautiful and fascinating. A series of long poems composed mostly outdoors in the east end of Toronto in a rented backyard space arrayed around a supremely vivid Bert, as you have described it. Mm. You address themes such as the loss of your mother, the process of grief, other family relationships, romantic attachments, reading and writing, and the lure of social media. But the Bert remains a central character. Can you tell us a bit about how that project came about? I won't even call it a project. It was a situated writing practice that emerged in time, like over a particular suite of days that were significant to me because they represented the anniversary of my mother's death three years before. So there's a kind of vigil, a kind of presence making and a kind of meditation on solitude that I was also undergoing because this living space I was occupying with my 
two adult uh, twins at that point was a kind of temporary arrangement. Our family had split up like so many families do. And I had, you know, moved out of the family home that had been so significant as like my place, my identity for so many years. So there was something very uh, contingent about being in this space. And it just happened to have this incredibly active and beautiful birch tree that was very, very well established on the property was sort of part of that, the family's home, really. Um, And I was an interloper in that space. But I also was able for the first time to really have a daily kind of monitoring relationship to that tree and uh, all of the life around it. Um, There were robins that were nesting and, you know, brought, brought baby robins into the world while I was, while I was in this process of being really aware of the tree. But like many writers, I, um, you know, I use a kind of daily solitude based writing practice to ground myself to continually feed the larger writing project world that I'm in because I always have multiple projects on the go um, and the sense of sitting outside was uh, I, I recognized that being outside as a writing space was a lot more important to me than I had I had sort of realized Uh, Because mostly I write outside in the summer when I'm up north um, in Sudbury, where where I'm from. But otherwise, most of my writing practice had gone on indoors almost always. So I started to think about that, um, the, the nurturing that was going on in my settling into this outdoor space that also brought with it all of these, you know, sort of concentric waves of sound that belong to the neighborhood, the neighbors, the laneway, all of the trees producing a kind of canopy. Um, I happen to be living very close to the south side of the the railway tracks. And so trains and all the squeaking and squelching noises of trains were were a really big piece, as was the the TTC streetcar route because the, the go around, the roundabout, um, garage is also just on the other side of those tracks. So it became a listening practice as much as a writing practice or those two things fused together. It's intriguing that the title of each poem in the collection is a date and that the dates are not necessarily in sequence. Very early in the first poem, you write of the narrator, she is a diarist and as such wants to remember thoughts and events she has lived, especially the delicate events and contra- contradictory thoughts that she perceives herself to be hearing and watching. Do you always envision this project or did you always envision this project as a sort of diary? Um, yeah, I, I think I got to reconnect with my notebook practice, which is also a, a space where I do a lot of drawing and writing usually in tandem. Um, And I also just do a lot of grounding. I guess people would think of it as a meditative writing practice in in the notebook. But in this case, there was also this sense of thinking about environment as a complex, you know, a complex layered space that involves all of the voices in the head, which are also memory and um, projective like wishing, there was a lot of grieving I was doing about my mother and about 
the ending of my marriage and various other kinds of grieving. Um, combining those sort of internal ecologies with a real physical material space that was full of sound that represented, you know, uh, where we are in late capitalism with, um, with, you know, commerce going on all around us. Um, and then that other layer that we're all getting so used to of being in social media space, being in virtual space. So this idea of being in an environment, um, I found really, really interesting, you know, just the idea of place that surrounds you, but also the habitat that you have internalized. And then this ongoing process of thinking about our dreams and our moods and our memories, you know, sort of all together and kind of creating a circuit through those, for me, materialities, like they're all incredible, you know, materialities. So I, I think that that was where Dear Birch started to form itself. I was in a, I was in a place that had a lot of organic external st stimulus and I was also in a, an extremely important kind of juncture of change in my own sense of what life was going to mean for me. Um, and I was living in someone else's house, which is a really interesting experience when you've, when you've raised children in your own. Yeah. You've touched on it a little bit. Um, throughout the uh, poems in this collection, there's a tension between the contemplation of nature and that noise of urban living. Mm -hmm. um, what, how do you think that contributed to the work artistically, or, or how did you try to use that tension? I think because um, I was starting to recognize the daily rituals of living in that space in relation to the sounds that I was surrounded by. I happened to be like living on this laneway where there was a brewery, a very, very chic and actually quite delightful, very small craft brewery that became more and more popular <laughs> over the summer. And so there was all of this sound associated with that kind of sociality going on, which was also, again, commerce and the sense of um, people being with each other. Now this sounds, you know, Dionysian <laughs> after a year and a half of not being allowed this kind of thing. But it was it was normal. It was I would have been shocked if, you know, by noon every day uh, out on Ivy Avenue, I hadn't started to hear um, the, the brewery come to life. So that was a piece of it. And then um, the streetcar uh, sort of sonata <laughs> that played very regularly, it was really this very, very kind of scraping, squeaking sound as these, as these streetcars revolved um, either out of service or back into service. Those sounds really meant something to me in terms of a daily ritual of listening, like they became the norm. And my own sense of, I don't know, acculturating myself to holding grief and, and desire as well, because the book Dear Birch is also about uh, love affairs and um, love affairs ending, love affairs beginning, love affairs sort of figuring out their own shape. Uh, understanding entrances and exits in terms of uh, intimacy in ways that made sense to me as a bisexual person. 
and that really drew me into my body. So there's, you know, how grief is like grief is an grief is an action of the body as much as it is, you know, of, of what we might think of as the emotions I mean, it's all of it. So I found that I understood the, the kind of sonic theater going on around me in relation to the, the emotional kind of diorama I was, I was also living. Um, but also I just, you know, they're touchstones, like the kind of writing in Dear Birch is, it, it very much relates to a notion of listening um, in a sort of continuous way, understanding writing too as a listening to what's calling one to write, um, listening to failure, listening to problem, um, and trying to situate myself as an individual in relation to the huge outside world and its politics, which were so hard to tackle when I was feeling so uh, liminal myself. Um, but I was also incredibly privileged. I mean, obviously, I was very privileged. I was sitting in a backyard thinking and writing, which most people don't consider um, labor <laughs> at all, but is actually quite deep labor. Yeah. You've been writer in residence at several institutions, including the University of Windsor. What was your greatest takeaway from the time you spent in the Detroit Windsor border region? Did this place have any kind of lasting impact on you or on your writing? I love that residency. It was uh, it was a, an extremely interesting residency. First of all, the um, the the writers who who teach in in the English program there are fabulous, and it was lovely to have more connection with them as creative uh, colleagues. Um, my children at that point, I did something you know quite odd. I I actually did a residency outside of Toronto when my children were, you know, all under the age of 10. My twins were seven. So it was a family kind of decision that allowed me to, to go and have that very immersive experience in the life of what felt like a single person. Um, so that was that, that really did bring a lot of dynamics. But also, I grew up in a, a, a town that was driven by, um, you know, extraction industries, um, Sudbury, when I grew up, was suffering a lot of effects of pollution and, um, you know, a sort of disequilibrium with the environment. And it was interesting being in Windsor on, you know, across the river, Detroit, uh, being in another community that was so constituted um, through industry and commerce and where, you know, was a very working class city. And um, I, it kind of reminded me of Sudbury when I was when I was growing up. So that that's one piece. But I also did write a book while I was there. I wrote the book, uh, my collection Sooner, which also sounds a lot like Sonar. Um, there was there's a lot of play with uh, time and sound in that text as well, and a lot of experimentalism with language, sort of unfurling and going off down different sort of detriments of of uh, assonance and. You know, um, it was a very it was a very productive space for me to be in, um, where you know I knew that I could kind of write whatever I wanted to write. That's a lovely thing about residencies you you can pursue your work and get a lot done because you have an office, you have colleagues, 
you have a bit of an income um, and, and you have time. So it was, I'm very, very fond of, uh, of the University of Windsor and, and my time there. Although, you know, it's like 14 years ago now, it's unbelievable. Windsor's a hotel, California. You can check out anytime you like, but it'll always draw you back in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so what are you working on now? What am I working on now? I am working on a bunch of things. Um, one of the projects I have is a sort of long, it's turning out to be a long-term project. It's a constraint-based poetic project where I'm working only with the letters of the alphabet that fit in the typographer's X height. So it limits me to the vowels and just a very small range of about 10 or 11 consonants. So it sets a very, very um, forward, audible, sonic constraint in place. Um, and I've been doing lots of different things with that constraint. So the project just keeps, I don't know, it keeps developing different, uh, different wings. It's almost becoming, you know, um, kind of, I'm not sure where it's going, but I'm very into it. <laughs> and uh, some of the pieces I'm writing in it are very exorbitant. They use the constraint to create, to make, to make language sound really weird, actually. And some of them are areas that I'm setting in the perspective of women in our 50s, 60s, 70s, the, creating a kind of vocal register for the I don't know, this sort of radical um, life guarding potential of women uh, in this phase of our lives. And the texts are kind of like, they're sort of kind of like big addresses that I've been able to experiment with adding other voices to. So one of the, one of the pieces for me all, of, all the way along it has been this idea of polyvocality, creating texts that are polyvocal, but also inviting other people into the performance of those texts as improvisations. I did quite a bit of that during my residencies at um, Western and then at U of A. And in this fall, I'm gonna be at Green College at UBC and I'm gonna be focusing as well on creating sort of improvisatory polyvocal spaces in, involving others where we can actually experiment with what we can do with our voices together if they're not conditioned into the ways that we're allowed to be together like protest rallies is one way or choirs where everybody knows what they're singing and why they're singing it um, I'm more interested in bodies of people taking part together in performances that open up awarenesses ourselves about our distance and proximity to each other and to the spaces we occupy. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. It's um, especially obviously after this year and a half of complete social distancing to be thinking about physical distance in a different way is kind of, um, it's pretty interesting. So that's one project, I guess, that extends into a few different forms. It sounds like it was almost a mystical experience, this act of creativity. Um, would you like to read a little bit of your work for, us, for our listeners? I would, that would be lovely. I've just been in the back of my mind, I've been trying to think about mm, what do I wanna read? And I, I think I've actually decided to read a poem that um, sort of is about occupying the space of the threshold 
as a space that is both relevant to our physical proximities, but also to how we exist in social media spaces and how, how we direct our intimacy in those spaces, how, we, how we've come to believe in that space so deeply and also so precariously. So I'm gonna read um, Threshold, which is from this book, Multitudes, that Coach House brought out. It's, there are a lot of ways in which it's very, it's, it really relates to Dear Birch. I think I'll do just a little piece from Dear Birch after I read Threshold. Threshold. Push words into body. Do those words form a column or spiral? Do those words coalesce as body into the body they conjure? Push words into mouth. Do those words form a tongue or jetty? Is a probe form that touches the tongue it entangles? Push words onto mound of nipple, onto mounded nipple jewels. Do words circulate as honey, as tentacles that leaven and stiffen? Are words the door slab we cross or the instepping over? Do words think what they want or rush in impartial? Fasten words into armpits, knee backs, elbow fronts. Do these words moving into view bulk or break like touch or are they just its cushions? Do I cock my head sideways, peer along tubal promontories and at this occult angle drench my throat in letters? Do I tongue roll speech? Do I usher words into corridors we recognize or do new phrases fissure the organism? Pack syllables into glands, deliver glandular phonemes glad to open, proposition palms moistening in response, wave words toward portals as if bright green pennants, signal presence at the threshold. Do words gush good manners? Do words think about waiting? Can words hold back or off or away until the body goes rigid and dirigible? A warm headwind pushes against the body the way words do. Words form a column or spiral of headwind and it is honeyed, it is tentacled, it is probing. Words suckle the column and nipple the mound, delve inside ducts and shovel out insides. Let's push words into coming gnash words into coming into body, shove grammar onto parts, load coming into each. Is it the threshold of coming or the deep thrash of asking? I wonder, do words have any clue? I wonder if words hold me or if you do. Maybe there's zero here, save our so green thresholds. And I'll just read a short, piece from Dear Birch, which is addressed to this beautiful birch tree, right in the first segment of the book. It's the second text called August 19th. As a long and slow second thought, she properly takes you in. Your zinging cicada trill, your outfurled flags of foliage, the neighbor baby's large grunts, like garden toads palpable through their shared fence. In the kitchen behind her, her own twins are in their home shorts, swilling warm salt water across the healing sockets where their wisdom teeth were tugged out three days ago. 
Houseflies and moths flit in her periphery. Your special vitamin is a quiet patience for reading. You line yourself up to enter her radiant syrup, supplemental toxin. She is becoming intoxicated. I'll leave it there. How beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thanks so much for, uh, for this lovely conversation. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for being here with us, Margaret Christakos. And we're looking forward to seeing you at the virtual 2021 BookFest Windsor. Can't wait. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Look for more episodes of All Right in Sin City wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out our website, allrightinsincity.com. For information and announcements of new podcasts, sign up to our email list or follow us on Facebook and Twitter.